God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. It's a new year and Jesus Christ is still the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, he is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people. And he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and he is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you, it knows no bounds. Today we'll hear some wonderful music. We'll read some of the Bible together regarding change by treasuring God's Word. And our interview segment is with author and speaker Ann Sullivan. It's an interview you'll definitely want to stick around for. Let's start off with The Motions by Matthew West. This might hurt, it's not safe. But I know that I've got to make a change I don't care if I break At least I'll be feeling something Cause just okay is not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life
With every new year, for the most part, we all have thoughts of change and improvement. We desire to be better and more productive. We want to make changes and set goals and plan for the future. For many of us, it's a start over in different areas of our life. We have the desire for our life to have a positive impact in our culture and also in the lives of people that we come in contact with day to day. All of that really is a tall order and it's basically impossible to do without bringing God into the picture. I'm not talking about going through the motions and just giving God a, a half-hearted acknowledgement. You know, we've all done that at one time or another and it got us nowhere. No, I'm talking about the creator of the heavens and the earth being living and real to you, moment by moment, day by day. Either the Word of God is true, or it isn't. If it's not true, then we're really just all wasting our time and our life. If it is true, then we have something to live for. We have a hope. We have a God who loves the world, and He desires for all people to know Him. We all have struggles in life. We all fall short in our ability to try to figure things out. No one ever said that life would be easy. It's not. And at times the circumstances we find ourselves in, well, they, they seem overwhelming. But no matter how difficult the situation, there is one who can carry us through in peace to victory no matter what the circumstance. In the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah, God promised his people deliverance. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29, if you have your Bible handy. Uh, we could turn to verse 11. We'll read verses 11 through 14. It says here, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end or a future hope. Verse 12, Then shall ye call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. Verse 14, And I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, said the Lord. 
and I will bring you again into the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. What a tremendous promise this is to the children of Israel. The Israelites, they were servants of the one true God. Today, you and I, those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not servants, we're sons of God. Don't you think that God would do as much for his sons today as he did for the children of Israel as servants, if not even more? God thinks thoughts of peace towards you. He does not think evil of you. The foundational truth that we must know and believe, number one, is that God loves us. He's not waiting to bop us over the head because of something wrong we've done. Quit beating yourself up for your past, whether it's been 20 years or whether it was yesterday. Call upon God and he will hear you. Seek God with all your heart and you will find him. He's not hiding. We find ourselves in captivity when we have turned from God, when we're self-made, doing it our own way. That will always, always result in bondage and captivity. In the eyes of the world, you know, someone might appear to be quite successful and prosperous. Yet, if they are a slave to the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, they're in captivity. That captivity is so often motivated by fear. Fear of what others may think, fear of failure, fear of never having enough, fear of, well, you fill in the blank. You know, you can be in prison and not be behind bars. The prisons of the mind are more damaging and they are more powerful than any steel cage. The love of our Heavenly Father, that is the key to release the mind from fear and captivity. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. There are many devices or plans. There are many plans in a man's heart Nevertheless, the counsel, or the plan, or the purpose of the Lord, that shall stand, that shall remain. How often have we gone to others with our plan or desire and, and asked them, well, what do you think? You know, if we asked ten different people, we'd probably receive ten different answers. We have a tendency to devise many plans in our hearts, and so seldom do those self-directed plans come to fruition to the end of glorifying God? If they succeed, they most often glorify men and women, or the group, or the committee, or they fail miserably, resulting in frustration and heartache. In contrast, the plans and the purposes of God remain. They stand. His word is steadfast, and it is faithful, resulting in accomplishment peace and genuine prosperity when we take heed to the counsel of the lord then and only then is our way sure we won't stumble we won't fall we won't fail god knows the end before the beginning why would any of us ever try to live outside of his direction there's a couple key verses i'd like to read that are valuable for us to know and to practice in order to effect genuine change, in order to receive true peace and true abundance and true success. 
Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. With our whole heart we are to seek the Father. How do we do that? The heart is the innermost part of our mind. The heart, that is where all the issues of our life proceed from. Your heart, that is who you are. How are we going to seek God with our whole heart? Verse 9 gives us some direction. It says here, By taking heed or observing to keep according to thy word. Verse 11, Thy word have I hid or treasured and stored up in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We are to treasure, we are to store up God's word in our heart in order not to sin against him. God's word is treasured and it is stored up in our hearts because we have taken the time to read his word, to meditate, to think on his word, and to talk to him about who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. The word of God treasured in your heart leads to a relationship with God the Father. It's a full sharing between you and your Heavenly Father. It's a recognition to the end of living what He has made you to be in Christ. Let's reread that verse a couple different ways. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might know God as my Father. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might know the Christ in me. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might no longer condemn myself, but believe that I am righteous in Christ. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might forgive others. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might see the value of people from the Father's eyes. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I am no longer prideful and arrogant. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might recognize the Spirit working within me to the end of doing the good works that God has directed me to do. God's word have I treasured in my heart, that I might know the authority I have to use the name of Jesus Christ to bring deliverance to others where it's needed. God's word have I treasured in my heart that I would make known to a dying world the living Christ. God's word have I treasured in my heart that I might live today anticipating the return of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a new year. It's a new day. Here in Psalm 119, we see the key to change. Treasure and store up God's word in your heart. The book of Esther in the Old Testament has some tremendous learning for each of us. Esther is an example of courage and obedience. You may remember the story of Esther. She was raised by Mordecai when her father and mother had died. The Jewish people, they were in captivity at that time. Esther had found grace in the eyes of the king and she became queen. The king did not know that she was an Israelite. Haman 
one of the king's right-hand men and a very evil man he plotted to destroy all of the israelites mordecai he learned of haman's evil plot and he warned esther let's take a look at esther we'll read uh, chapter 4 verses 8 through 16 here in verse 8 mordecai gave hatak the king's chamberlain the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Sushan to destroy the Israelites, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication or intercession unto him, and to make request before the king for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spoke and gave commandment unto Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days." What she's saying there, in that culture, no one, not even the wife of the king, came into the presence of the king unless the king had called for them. If someone came into the king's court without the king having called them, they could be put to death unless the king held forth his scepter, indicating that he had accepted their uninvited presence. This literally was a life-and-death situation for Esther. But really, it was already a life-and-death situation for all of the Israelites because of Haman. Verse 12. And they told the Mordecai Esther's words. Verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews? For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai here says, Esther, even if you won't go before the king, God will provide another way of deliverance for his people. And he also states to her, Esther, who knows whether you art come to the kingdom to be as queen for such a time as this, to save God's people. Verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast you for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In verse 14, Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Where are you today in your life? What is your sphere of influence? Who do you have entree to? whether they be great or small in the eyes of the world. In God's sight, one life is no more valuable to Him 
than any other life. All life is valuable. Could the words you speak today turn someone's life around? Could the words you speak turn a family to the one true God? Could the words you speak turn a nation back to God? Could the prayer you pray today be answered above and beyond all you could ever ask or think by a loving God who cares? You are where you are today for such a time as this. Today is your day because of God in Christ in you. There are no coincidences. You have the Spirit of God. Remember, God knows the end before the beginning. He has a plan for you. That plan is a direction of peace and joy and deliverance with you doing mighty exploits. Philippians chapter 2.13 states, For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. Who works within you? God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. He stirs your heart and He directs your path to have the desire to do His good pleasure. And not only the desire, but the boldness and the courage to be obedient. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 states, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained or prepared that we should walk in them. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. What part has God created in you? His Spirit. You are His son or His daughter. The result of that relationship will be you doing the good works that God has prepared for you since before the foundation of the world. God's working within of Philippians 2.13 are the good works of Ephesians 2.10. When God asks you to do something for Him, He will always provide the required resources. God will meet you at the intersection of love and obedience. Esther, she received entree to the king. You, you have entree to the creator of the heavens and the earth. His scepter is always extended towards you. You have received grace and mercy. Hebrews 4.16 states, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We don't crawl in shame before the throne of grace. It says, we come boldly. The Father sees you as he sees his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to his throne of divine favor that we may receive mercy and grace to help us and to assist us in our time of need. I pray that our time of need is not one of asking God to just fill our wish list, but rather let our time of need be our heart cry of, Father, what can I do for you today?
This day's not for me, this day's for you. I know the price you paid must have been hard to do. Good morning, Daddy, this day's for you. These quiet moments before the light Sure do me good, they do a heart right My time along with you Give thanks for all you do Good morning, Daddy, this day's for Our guest today is Ann Sullivan. Ann is the author of the book Permission to Doubt, and she writes a blog titled Simple Truths. She has worked as a teacher and international conference speaker for over 15 years. Ann also served as a coordinator and trainer for the Women's Ministries at Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, which is an outreach that ministers to over a thousand women every week. After growing up in a Christian home, Anne studied history and philosophy at a secular university where her faith was challenged on every level. After graduating, her doubts followed her as she battled through a 13-year panic disorder that was fueled by an undiagnosed heart condition. Anne asked the difficult questions, and she followed the evidence to its logical conclusion. She emerged with a refined faith in Christ 
and a love for the core teachings of Scripture. I'd like to welcome Ann Sullivan to the Radio Solution Show. Welcome, Ann. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's awesome having you as a guest today. Can you tell us a little about your personal journey and how you have grown and your understanding of God's love for you? I was raised in a Christian home. I was nurtured in a very healthy environment. I had the great modeling of parents who uh, loved the Lord, knew uh, what grace was about, what love was about, uh, was never afraid to make mistakes, to ask questions. It was a very nurturing environment. In fact, I didn't know that Christians had a bad rap until much later in my life, and I realized that there was uh, some problems in some of the perceptions, uh, but that was not my experience. I had a very high-functioning, very open, loving environment. You know, as a very young child, I had an awareness of God, which I think is a very natural thing. The atheists that speak against it are, you know, it's it's in there. It's it's in all of us. Romans one and two tells us, and uh, I didn't need the arguments of Aquinas to uh, convince me that God was there. Natural theology and all that uh, heavy stuff. I just figured I'm here, so He must be there. And of course, the next logical question is, if He's there. Does he want me to know anything about him? And and the, my feeling is he either does or he doesn't. I believe he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like a good parent, we want our kids to know us. He's our creator, wants us to know something of him. Right. That's a wonderful foundation to come from, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share with us a little bit about the key to overcoming doubt and nurturing the confident trust in God that you have today by way of spiritual intimacy with God? My feeling about doubt is this. I, I read a little pamphlet years ago by Stephen Board from InterVarsity who said, those who've never really doubted have never really believed. And some of our deepest convictions are are, are grown out of uh, deep spiritual doubt and questions. And I don't understand why there has been this uh, bad rap that a lot of Christians have gotten to be anti-intellectual, to, to not reason that faith has no pla- reason has no place with faith. I couldn't disagree with that more. Uh, For me, it was asking the logical questions and realizing, and and one of the things that I have learned in the last few years is that we, uh, for every argument, there's a counter argument. And so I think people need to not be afraid to ask the questions. One of my favorite quotes is that truth never lost ground by inquiry. I mean, Mm -hmm. there may be things that we need to get rid of that are just extra baggage that may change us a little bit and grow us up as a believer, but... I think doubt is important, and and doubt, I'm defining it this way, rather than having it destroy your faith, let it be a tool to to look and see where it is that you need to grow. In the book, I break down three aspects of doubt, spiritual, intellectual, and emotional, and I think it's really important that people identify the questions or the, the, um, the places where they need to spend some time and some focus so that they can be allowed to grow in those areas. Mm -hmm. And I read your book as well this past week, and I thought it was excellent. And when I think of the doubt that you presented in there as well, it's to have the desire to know the truth. In other words, it's the motivation behind the question. If you desire to know what is the true answer rather than to try to to tear down, which in your case was the desire to know the true answer. But I didn't want to be self-deluded. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to just, okay, I'm a part of this band of believers, uh, so this is where I need to stay. 
It's a little bit scary to take that step out. I think there are probably three major reasons people are afraid to ask the big questions. One is that they feel that they might be disrespectful and they were taught not to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I, I never understood that. Um, another is that they don't want to look foolish. You know, I've, I've acted as though I know what I'm talking about. I really don't. And I think the third is that they think their belief system won't be able to take it. It will somehow crumble. And I, and I honestly think that God wants to refine us to that back-to-basics kind of faith that really will weather all the different cultures and subcultures and how people speak and how they act and all those different things. And I think that's a, that's a, a lot of what we need to get over. Right, right. And when that foundation is there, that core values of the truth mm-hmm. of God's word, then mm-hmm. come on, bring on the questions. <laughs> right. And, and you said about the motivation, there are people who just like to be difficult. They want to tear down and they want to find problems in everything. Mm -hmm. So that was never really my motive. My motive was, okay, I'm open. I may find that I'm not not going to agree with my parents on everything, but that's okay. And I was really freed up to say, you know, show me truth. Mm -hmm. In your book, you refer to the image problem that plagues many, many Christians today. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and how we in the church can avoid that problem and find our true identity in Christ? The image problem I write about in the book, uh, the Barna studies that have been done by the Barna Group, they've done fabulous uh, research and have written extensively on why, especially this next generation of millennials, are finding a hard time making time for church. And what Mm -hmm. is the church image that people are um, sort of struggling with? And I think as believers, it is challenging. I mean, growing pains are called pains for a reason. I think we need to understand what it is that we have to hold on to tightly and what it is that we need to let go of and how we use the the, the language that so many call Christianese, you know, I have to put the Lord in every sentence and that offends all of my uh, unbelieving friends who really want, I want to reach. And, and I challenge people all the time, you know, if you're just trying to preach to the choir, which is a good thing too, the choir needs preaching too. But if you're really trying to reach people with the truth of the gospel, you need to, to speak their language. You need to understand where they're coming from. We need to not hold so tightly to you know, they oftentimes, I think a lot of young people, one of the reasons they reject their faith is because it's that age where you reject everything your parents said and, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't like the way they dress, you don't like the way they talk, you don't like who they uh, associate with. And so this image problem uh, has become a, a an issue. And I think there's a lot of work toward um, dealing with that to the credit of, of so many uh, progressive Christians who are holding on to what's really important and finding other ways to deal with the image problem that we've kind of struggled with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in reading your book, too, uh, Permission to Doubt, I know that you're a woman of prayer. And one thing I noticed as well in your book is you are an excellent, excellent storyteller. And uh, one of the stories that you shared that happened in your life was a time at camp when you were a young girl where you learned the meaning to pray continually, as it is, we are exhorted to do in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and how prayer to this day is a big part of your life. Could you share with us a little bit about that story? Well, thank you for complimenting my storytelling um, that comes from years of speaking. I take these scriptures and I say, okay, what is it that uh, is being communicated in it, and, and what did it say to the people it was written to, and what does that essence say to me in my world, my culture? And to pray without ceasing or to pray continually is a challenge. What does that mean? Do we always need to be on our knees uh, physically or metaphorically? 
when I was young, I did go to camp, and uh, I was incredibly homesick, uh, hated camp as a, as a child, which is really ironic because as an adult, I, I visit so many fine camps as a speaker. But I had a, a camp counselor who really we loved. She was uh, an amazing young woman. And uh, when I think back, poor girl had to deal with me and all my homesickness. Uh, she would gather us in the bunkhouse at night in a little circle on the floor before we would go to bed. And she would talk to us. And we were in awe of her. She was wonderful. She was a beautiful young woman, uh, long brown hair. And she was brilliant. She knew everything. You know, she was 17. She knew absolutely everything. And uh, she talked to us about First Thessalonians 5:17, and she said, "You know, we are to pray continually." And he, she said, "This is what it means to me. In the morning, when I'm in bed, I don't even step out of bed before starting a prayer, saying, "Here I am, Lord. This is my day. Guide me, direct me." And throughout the day, I just continually bring petitions, prayers, my angers, my frustrations, my happinesses to God. And she said, "I never say amen until I climb into bed at night." And I'll tell you what, I hated camp, but that image stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And that is how I live my life. I am not one to compartmentalize my spiritual truth. It is who I am. You will find it in me always, as is prayer. God is with me, in me, around me. And uh, so that's what it means to pray continually. It's being in that, that pattern of awareness. That's you know? wonderful. And you know what I think of, Anne, is what an impact that 17-year-old camp counselor had on the people that she counseled and camped and watched over, you being one of them. And how I wish I could find her yeah, <laughs> and tell right, her. Right. I don't even know who she was. Right, right. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And you've studied some of the more notable atheists of our day. Uh, just recently here in Naperville, Illinois, an atheist group, Freedom From Religion Foundation, threatened one of the local schools with a lawsuit if they did not cease to allow a football coach from praying on the field. Why is it, do you think, that groups such as this that do not believe there is a God, they are so adamant in fighting against a God that they believe doesn't exist. Freedom from Religion Foundation first came to my attention in the 90s because I lived in Milwaukee and they're out of Madison. So I'm quite familiar with them. Uh, Dan Barker, who uh, started that with his wife and and her mother, uh, is one of the founders of it, president of it. And also I know Mike Stein, the uh, coach from Naperville mm-hmm. Central. Um, we've been together with mutual friends several times. What a great guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a fine person who cares so deeply about these young men uh, and their lives. It's very tricky because we live in a democracy. We live in a, a society where there is freedom of expression, and yet there are so many ways of coming about so many of the laws that I think the church is going through growing pains, which I think is actually a healthy thing. Whatever the topic is that people may disagree about in the Christian camp, some who embrace gay marriage, some who do not, some who uh, talk about how many expressions of are uh, religious, for lack of a better word. What are those things that we should have in public school? What are those things we should have at the courthouse? What are those mm-hmm. things that we should have out there? And how do we not discriminate? These are really difficult questions in our democracy, and we're going to have to kind of wade through them, and people are going to have to battle these through, which is the beauty of a democracy. The larger answer would be uh, that term that theologians call spiritual warfare, Mm -hmm. which is just fancy talk for uh, the fact that good and evil cannot comfortably coexist. We see this every day. So in the larger sense, that would be the answer. But in the 
the more specific sense, all of the atheists that I've enjoyed speaking to and and listening to and um, reading, they have a lot of issues. A lot of them have a lot of issues. They've had bad experiences with, quote, unquote, religion. Um, they have really not taken the time to pare everything down to its its very basic, it's me and Christ, and what uh, is, who is Christ, and, mm-hmm. and uh, what is his message, and what is his message to me. What people would rather do is just bring on all of the dysfunction that has ever been associated with the church and hold that up as a an example of what all of church means. I, I find it really interesting that people like Richard Dawkins, who uh, a brilliant man, could become intentionally obtuse about the difference between uh, Al-Qaeda and Mother Teresa and lumping all of that together in religion, uh, see how the problems of religion, and not being able to see the difference. I mean, it's clear to us the difference between mm-hmm. the two. So it's uh, these smoke screens that we all talk about and, and looking for ways to, to uh, you know, fight these things. And I think some of it's hurt. I think some of it's disillusionment. Mm-hmm. I think some of it is anger. I think uh, things have been misrepresented. And instead of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, I encourage people to to dig a little deeper, to clear away some of that clutter and just say, okay, you know, let's get back to basics. And that would make a difference. But this whole um, assault from freedom, from religion, it's very passionate. I am one of those people who really likes to know the answer to things, and I want to be convinced, and I'm open to being convinced. And the more I've listened to Dan Barker, the more I've thought – he has nothing to offer, mm-hmm. nothing to offer. I, John Lennox, professor at Oxford, said, when you say that the problem with evil is why you don't believe in God, well, you still, if you don't believe in God, you still have the problem of evil, and, and now you've gotten rid of one of the potential solutions. Right. So you really need to go beyond those emotions that become damaged, try to be as open-minded as possible. They call themselves free thinkers, but mm-hmm. that's a interesting term. I don't know how free their thinking is. Dan Barker came from a very tight religious group that really wasn't encouraged to ask questions. It was very much motivated by emotion. And uh, and people enjoy expressing their, quote-unquote, love for God in all sorts of different ways. But I'm one of those people that's very practical. I don't throw the word love around very often. I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey. Mm-hmm. And that isn't an emotion. That right. really isn't debatable. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what the God has told us. The, the God of the universe has, has told us. So. And what is on your heart today that you would like to share with our listeners to encourage them in the things of God? Well, I would personally, just because it's me speaking here, I would love for people to get the book. I'd love for them to contact me. I'd love to uh, talk about some of these things. We are developing curriculum to go with this book because this book is really uh, for people who like to think. It also deals with my own uh, experiences and doubt and panic disorder. I hear from people all the time. Sometimes I have the feeling that people will read it and go, what do I do with this? I thought we'd be moving on to a second book, a second topic, but we've had lots of requests for curriculum so people can learn how to communicate with other people who are doubting or deal with doubts themselves and how to articulate those things, especially as I work with women, Mm -hmm. moms of grown kids, sisters, daughters, I do speak to men, too, but this is uh, basically I think the curriculum will be first aimed toward women. And and that would my my heart would be to to get alone with God, to allow him to take you to a different level. 
You know, I was reading in Galatians 5 the other day and reading about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. And I thought to myself, a lot of those attributes are in all of us to some extent because Mm -hmm. we were created in the image of God. In the appendix of my book, I have just briefly touched on what I call 10 objections, 10 reasons not to be a Christian. Uh, And one of the interviews I was with Kirby Anderson on Point of View, he said you need to write more extensively on that because one of them is the objection that atheists have that that Christians will often say you need Jesus to be happy. There's a lot of happiness with people who don't really know Jesus because it rains on the just and the unjust. We are all given so much blessing. However, in Galatians 5, what you see is a spirit-infused life brings you to a different level of Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those attributes. And that would be my prayer for people to sort of get beyond the religious jargon, get Mm -hmm. beyond all of that extra stuff and get back to the basics and say, okay, God, it's me and you. What do you have to teach me? Mm -hmm. Well, and you definitely have a wonderful heart and desire to help people. So if any of our listeners out there would like to get a hold of you to have you speak at their conference or their church or their Bible study, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, that would be real easy. You'll have my contact information on your uh, site, but yes. I am Sullivan at comcast.net, or you can go to my website, which is com. You can very easily contact me on my Facebook, which is Anne, no E, C. Sullivan. And uh, any of those ways you can contact me. And I always answer my emails, love to hear from people, love to be able to speak to people. And, uh, yeah, that would be a great thing. That's great. I'll put that on the website for sure. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for what you're doing. You're welcome. God bless you, Anne. Thank you. all together, everybody needs you strong But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control There's freedom and surrender, lay it down and let it go So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away you're not alone, stop holding on and just be here. Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. I'm on the throne, stop holding on and just be here. Just be here. Just be storm, you wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you know I always have and I always will. And not a tear is wasted, in time you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes, your life is in my hands. So when you're on your knees, an answer seems so far away. You're not alone, stop holding on and just be here Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place 
close out today's show and read some scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's uh, been for many, many years one of my most favorite sections of scripture that contains just some wonderful truth of what God has done for us and what our proper response should be in return. We'll start in verse 14 if you've got a, a Bible handy. It says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge, that if one, Jesus Christ, died for all, you and me, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, and that word for there could better be translated in place of, and that he died in place of all, that they, you and I which live, should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him which died in place of us and rose again. You know, it's it's a new year, it's a new day, it's a new week. And for us to to really walk into the greatness of what God, our Heavenly Father, has in store for us, it's imperative that we recognize that Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for all of our shortcomings, for the sin of Adam, which resides in the nature of every human being, and for the fruit of that nature, any wrongdoing that could ever have been committed in our lives that's been forgiven through Christ. And because of that, we've got the ability to be able to live unto him. Let's uh, continue in verse 16. It says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things in Christ are become new. We should see ourselves and we should see fellow believers as God sees you, which is as he sees Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a complete substitute, a complete Savior. He completely and fully redeemed mankind 
from the sin nature of Adam and the fruit thereof. And also, we look at people in the world the way God sees them. He sees every single human being as valuable. They are valuable to him. God loves people. Let's continue reading here. And all things, verse 18, are of God. All things new in Christ are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, it says there that God is the one who reconciled us to himself. And that reminds me of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. Let me turn there real quick and just read those because there's tremendous truth there, especially verse 17. Verse 16 is probably the most famous verse of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, in contrast, that the world through him might be saved. Why did God send Jesus Christ? Not to condemn the world, but that the people of the world might be saved. Mankind needs a Savior. Let's continue on here. Well, really, the last couple words there, verse 18. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. There is key to what we read earlier up there in verse 15, where it says, Henceforth we don't live unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. One of the things in living for God, in living for the Lord Jesus Christ, is to operate that ministry of reconciliation, which every single believer has. We have the privilege to be able to reconcile men and women back to God. How do we do that? Let's read verse 19. To wit, or to know, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he has committed unto you and I the word of reconciliation. We don't make it up as we go. We speak the word of God. We speak the greatness of what God has done for people through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's operating the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to the one true God so that they might know the love that he has for each and every one of them. So often at times religion has done a tremendous disservice to God because some religions have portrayed God as a a big ogre sitting up there in heaven waiting to bop you over the head for the slightest little mistake you might ever do or the slightest little bad thought you might ever have. No, that's not the God I know. The God I know is a God of love who sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, so that men and women could be saved and could have eternal life and that people could once again have a relationship with the Father, which was lost when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden many thousands of years ago. We today have the privilege to operate the ministry of reconciliation. And we do that by speaking the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. 
Verse 21, For he, God, has made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, or in place of us, who knew no sin. And that word knew means to know by experience. Jesus Christ was a perfect man. He never sinned. So God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for you and I, who knew no sin. Why? The purpose being that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, I don't feel righteous. You're righteous. God has made you righteous in him. What a really, really wonderful life we do have. And we saw so many tremendous verses in uh, the earlier part of the teaching in Jeremiah and in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And all the other ways that that verse could be used, Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might know the love that the Father has for me. And then we heard the wonderful interview by Ann Sullivan today where she shared her heart and her life and how she overcame situations and then in that overcoming of those situations, she came to know the greatness of God's love for her. So continue to move forward knowing how much God loves you. Thank you for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show and thank you to Ann Sullivan for sharing her heart and life with us. All of the Solution Radio Shows are archived at thesolutionradioshow.com where you may re-listen at your convenience. There are also links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also on the website, there's a page for upcoming events. If you'd like your event listed, send the information to info at thesolutionradioshow.com. A reminder that the praise line is open 24 hours a day where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life and His deliverance in your life. The number is 844-705-3410. Once again, the praise line number 844-705-3410. We will play some of those testimonies in upcoming shows. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. The Solution Radio Show is listener-supported both by your prayers and your financial giving. All donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois 60567. Once again, the mailing address the Solution Radio Show, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. There is also a donation link available on our website. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best. You're tuned to The Big One, AM 1280, 